We're going to uh, read verses 14 through 17 in the ESV, and underneath your, your chairs, uh, if you're here in person, are ESV Bibles, uh, or you can look that up in your own Bible or Bible app if you have that handy. Um, we are also going to uh, project the scripture, um, and again, it's Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. So we'll give you a moment to look that up. It's kind of nice to have the scripture in front of you as we go through the message. All right, and once you are ready to read the scripture, if you could please stand as able, and I'll read the scripture for us, but we, we all respond there at the end. Um, so again, it's uh, Romans 8, 14 through 17. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may also be glorified with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, friends, we are continuing in this sermon series, uh, Life Period. Uh, today's message is who you really are. This is a question that often gets asked of us. It is one of the most important questions in life. And friends, in some ways, I don't want to like overhype the message today, but I got to tell you, last week when I, I thought I couldn't come back because I was in Cincinnati with my dad in the hospital, you know, I was like, like, yeah, you know, we can put this message off a week, but I don't want to because I know it's so important. This is a really important question. Many of us are trying to figure out who we are. Who am I? Uh, there, there's a, a movie uh, from the 80s. I'm going to show my age a little bit. It's kind of like a classic now. So I don't know if any of you guys have heard of the movie or seen the movie The Breakfast Club. Anyone seen it? Yeah, okay. It, it's, it's a great movie. It, it's, uh, it's kind of funny because these people that you see here are supposed to be in high school, and they're all in their like, mid to late 20s. Like, <laughs> they are definitely, it's hard to see from up here, but they are definitely not in high school, but they're supposed to be. And so what The Breakfast Club is, is that it's a Saturday detention that these kids had to go to because they did something bad, right? They broke a rule or whatever. And so, but it, it ends up that the five people in detention, they all fit a stereotype of high school life. And so you've got the, the guy who's like the rebel, who doesn't follow rules, and he's always getting in trouble. You've got the jock, right, the athlete. Um, it says the basket case, but it's like the, the loner, right, the introvert, the person who's just kind of weird and sitting at the table by themselves and wearing all black. Um, you've got the princess, it says here. She's like the rich girl, the popular girl. Um, and then the last one is the brain, the nerd. You know, and so when they are in detention, their assignment that the, the vice principal gives them, and he says it in this really kind of sneering way. He's like, I want you to write an essay front and back, and you're going to answer the question, who do you think you are? Right? And he says it like that in a very kind of insulting way. But it's a good question. Who do you think you are? And all of these people, they start in this kind of box, right? In this box that maybe high school put on them. Or other people look at them and they immediately judge them. And they say, yeah, you're a jock. Or you're a popular girl. Or you're a nerd, right? And, and we, we just kind of keep these people in their boxes. And so basically, you know, without too many spoilers, what the movie is about is finding out that people are much more than that. 
that you find out that they have a lot more in common than they thought before. And all of them have a little bit of those other types in them, right? And so like everyone is more complicated than we think we are. And this is why the question is so difficult to answer because it is not a simple answer, right? If you think about you know, this, this question, who am I, right? And, and really it's situational. You can change from moment to moment. And there are many times where you meet someone and maybe you met someone on the day that, I don't know, like, like they, they got a test back and they got 100, you know? Or they found out that they got that internship they really wanted. Or, I don't know, you know, they just watched an awesome movie and they're in a really good mood and you meet them and you're like, wow, John is a happy person, right? But what if you met John after he finds out that his, uh, it's not this John, but just a theoretical John. Let's find, you know, John, uh, you know, he finds out his grandmother died. He's bummed, right? He's like in a really bad mood. And you're like, dude, that guy's just kind of depressed. He's kind of a sad person. Or maybe someone right before a big exam, you know, or a big interview, and they're just like jittery and like, whoa, that person's so nervous. Are they any of those things? Can you reduce somebody to one state of mind? Right? To, to say they're happy or sad or you know, that this person is a, a, an airhead or whatever. I have been called so many things throughout my life. There are people who have told me, man, Pastor Steve, you're so smart. You're so intelligent. And then there's other people who are like, Pastor Steve, you're so absent-minded. You're such an airhead. I'm like, well, which one is it? You just happened to catch me on an airheaded day. I had other things on my mind, right? And maybe you caught me on a day where I was telling you about something that I've researched a lot, and so I sound really smart. Am I either of those things? Can you peg anyone in one category and say, that's you? And that's the problem, is, is for many of us, we want to find an identity. It is one of the most important things in life for you to find something to stand on. Who am I? Why is this such a big deal? Some people, sometimes people talk about like an existential crisis. Not knowing the answer to this question is absolutely frightening. And it's so frightening, in fact, that you are going to find an answer, whether it's right or not, aren't we? You're going to find an identity, and you are going to stick to it. And if you don't have that identity, it can be devastating. How do we know this? Because, I mean, you know, uh, what identity are you going to find? Now, I know some of us can find identity based on personality, you know, based on, you know, I'm a smart person, or I'm a kind person, or, you know, those kinds of things. But many of us will end up finding it in our vocation, in our job, right? And, and you're going to think of yourself in that way. And for so many people, you know, so many people in my parents' generation, that's where they found identity. And so, you know, sometimes, like, after people retire or after they lose a job, they're like, who am I? What am I doing? Like, suicides go, like, way up if somebody loses a job. Because they feel like I'm over. My life is over. I don't know who I am if I don't have a relationship to this job. For years and years, I was a doctor, right? I was a lawyer. I was a, a store owner, right? Or whatever it was. And if I don't have that, then who am I? It's seriously a really important question. I know for some, some of the, the folks who are just about to you know, graduate, we got seniors here, seniors in college, yeah? Can we see some hands? All right, some of you are like, 
You should be proud. You should be like, yeah, we're almost done. You know, some of you guys are like, <laughs> but you're about to get to this phase, right? Isn't it anxiety provoking a little bit? What's next? You guys can't see at home, but they're like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, what's next? How am I going to get to this place where I'm supposed to be because I'm supposed to get there? If you don't get a job right out of, uh, out of uh, uh, college or you don't immediately get into a grad school, it's so anxiety provoking. We have people, I know so many people in that post-grad stage where they don't know what's next and it is so frightening. They're like, well, Pastor Steve, I, I just, I mean, you know, they wouldn't put it this way, but probably some of that internal monologue, sometimes the thinking is, I'm not somebody yet. I haven't found it yet, right? And friends, um, even if you do find it, like I said, it's so important. It's such an important question that you're going to find it whether or not it's right. <laughs> and there's even this thing that when a lot of us start to find a role, we have this fear that we're not really that. All of us have it. As a pastor, I've had it so many times, right? Where, like, I remember the first time that uh, I was a youth pastor. I was, like, right out of college. I was, like, no older than some of you guys are, you know? And, and I, I was, like, just seriously, straight out of undergrad, I hadn't started a seminary class like at all. I didn't know anything more than the average person. And I show up at church, and you know, for those of you guys in the Korean church, like they show honor and respect to pastors. And people will come up to me, like people who are like three times my age, and they would be like, "안녕하세요, 전도사님," and so they, they they would greet me in this very kind of honorific way in the Korean culture, and I'm like, "Oh." I'm not a pastor, I'm just Steve. You know, I just graduated college, I don't know anything. You know, and, and that like all, all of the youth group kids, hey, Pastor Steve. And so they call it imposter syndrome. You know, this feeling like, oh my gosh, they're gonna find out. They're gonna find out that I'm not the real deal. You know, and I've talked to many of our leaders in church and a lot of, especially like the campus leaders, like they feel this a lot where they're like, you know, like, I'm a small group leader, but am I really a small group leader? You know, am I qualified? You know, like, will they see through me? You know, and no matter where you are in life, I mean, you could be like at, at a party and there's some people who look really popular and you're hanging out with them and you might start feeling like an imposter, like, am I really popular like them? You know, am I as cool as them? Right, it happens all of the time because all of us, we have both of these things going on at the same time. This is why it causes such psychic chaos within you, is that you have a need to figure out who you are. It is implanted in you, right? You have this seed within you. From the time you were young, you all wanted an identity, right? This is why kids like dressing up. This is why kids like to pretend. They, they watch a, a movie and they see a princess and they're like, yeah, I'm a princess, I'm royalty. Or they see a superhero movie and they're like, yeah, I'm Superman, I'm Spider-Man, right? And they see themselves as destined for more of this great identity. And all of us, we want that. We, we, we have been implanted with that. It is part of your DNA. God has put that in you to figure out who you are, and you're spending your life trying to find it out. And for many of you, the, the phase of life that you're in right now is you're on this precipice of the next thing. You, you've gone through all this school. I know we have a lot of people at LGM, some of you at home, you're already in a job. But many of us, we have this place where it's like, who am I going to be? And I feel like I was destined for greatness. But am I going to get there? Am I going to fail? 
or am I just going to be mediocre? I'm just, just going to get a job, maybe a job I don't like. And we're all at this place where we're so afraid, right? Am I going to become the person I'm supposed to be? And as I'm starting to walk that road, is that even me? And so, friends, today we are going to try to answer that question once and for all. Who are you really? And the Bible's going to talk about that. And we've already been sharing from Romans. So if you guys haven't been here, I would highly encourage you, because th this message, I think, will make more sense if you go back and you watch, especially the last two sermons where we go through Romans, uh, the, the passages that came right before what we read today. And, and so we've been talking about the struggle between spirit and flesh. And when we say flesh, we don't mean just the physical body, but there is this part of you that, um, you know, we, we have equated it to the old brain, or sometimes people call it the reptilian brain, this very basic part of you that is all about survival, right? It's all about, you know, getting food and pleasure and, you know, if you're in trouble, trying to keep you safe and make sure that you're alive, you know, the fight or flight responses that you have. And, you know, it, it's, it's all about that. And that is the most basic and primal part of us that kicks in so often, especially when you are afraid. And what we've been talking about is that there are two spirits that operate in this world in a general way. I mean, you know, there's a lot more nuance to this, but just, just for the purposes of us understanding that there are two general areas of spirit. And there is the spirit of fear, right, which is where the realm of the flesh is. And then there is the spirit of love. And this is the realm of what we call spirits, right, the Holy Spirit and all of these things, right? And these two things are at odds all the time. Right? I'm not going to get into too, too much detail. If you want to find out more, watch those uh, old sermons. But basically, you know, if you've ever been a place where you're like, I know I should do this thing. I know the right thing to do but I really, really want to take a nap right now. I really, really want a snack, or I really, really want to run and hide, right? If you've ever been in that scenario, then you know the struggle. We all have it. It's just a part of the human condition, right? And so we've been trying to figure out how do we get led by the spirit instead of the flesh, right? And so we've been trying to take the pressure off of people because so often in the church, unfortunately, people have not understood this concept. And what we've done instead is we've just assume that everyone is a free person who has will and can make good choices or bad choices. And just for whatever reason, because you're a bad person, I guess, you've just been making bad choices. But that's not what the Bible says. You're going to see it right here. You're going to see that the spirit that they're talking about, yo, it's serious. It says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. We'll go back to this and explain for a second. It, it does sound like very kind of sexist language, but we'll explain why it says sons. It does say specifically sons. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. There's a lot to unpack there. But friends, notice what it says about these two different kinds of spirits. There's the spirit of adoption, of love, and there's a spirit of slavery that brings you into fear. That's the spirit. It's slavery. You don't have a choice. And so many of you, you go through this struggle and you're like, why can't I do the right thing? Why do I keep procrastinating? Right? Why, why do I keep falling back into these bad habits? You can't help it. You can't help it. 
It's slavery, right? People who are in addictions, right? Like, like sometimes in the church, man, we talk to people, we're like, yeah, stop doing bad stuff. Don't sin. Go love people. Go do good things. And if you say that to an addict, it's nonsense. Like, like of course, I mean, if it were that easy, you know, who wants to ruin their family, right? Who wants to be an addict? They can't help it. And there are these moments where it's almost like a split mind, right? On one hand, we're like, yeah, I don't want to drink this alcohol, or I don't want to take this drug, or I don't want to do this thing, you know, take a nap or procrastinate when I should be studying or, you know, uh, whatever the thing is, you know, and, and there's this, this struggle between what you know is right and, and you have a desire to do it, but then there's a much more immediate, much more primordial need in this moment, and it is to just get rid of the threat, get rid of the thing that's making you feel bad by whatever it is, fill in the blank, but this is what the flesh is leading you to do. This is what sin is. It is living in disconnection from the spirit, right? We said in the Greek, sin is harmatia. It is missing the mark. It is disconnection. It is not just doing bad stuff, friends. I can't emphasize that to you enough, right? Because we judge so many people on that. We're like, you did a bad thing, right? Yeah, you know, it leads to bad stuff. It's part of it, right? But sin, it's, it's a condition. And the condition is disconnection from spirits. And if you are disconnected from spirit, you are inevitably going to be led by the flesh. You can't help it. And a lot of us, we use this language and we think we're doing it. We're like, yeah, I don't feel like it, or I feel like it. That language is the language of the flesh, desire, right? And those things are led by flesh, led by the spirit of slavery that, that brings you back into fear, because most of it is fear. I, I know sometimes, you know, people will kind of fight me on this, and they're like, well, Pastor Steve, you know, you're saying it's not my fault and all this stuff, but I shouldn't be doing it, right? You know, it's not good to do that. You know, are you making an excuse for people? And I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm just telling you that it's not going to help to berate someone who's doing something that ultimately they don't really want to do, right? That's not the way they want to live, you know, and to just tell them like, yeah, stop doing it. It's not helping anybody. You see? And so if somebody is a slave to something, I mean, right, it doesn't make sense like, hey, walk out of that cage when they're chained. You got to break the chain. That's how you free them, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. In the, 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 the chain is the flesh that is led by the spirit of slavery that leads you into fear. It's all fear. I mean, think about like when you procrastinate. I know it seems like such a small thing, but it's a threat. Your, your mind, your nervous system interprets that the same way that you interpret someone coming at you with a knife, right? So your reaction, it doesn't make sense to you, right? Like, so we, we, we want to run, we want to hide. When you get stressed, I, I mentioned this last week, your heart rate elevates and you start getting sweaty, right? And you actually get a little bit dumber Right? Because if there is a, a tiger running at you, you don't need to be thinking clearly. All you need to do is run. Right? And so your body is getting ready to run or fight. And it makes you really stupid. And so if you are studying for a test and you start feeling all stressed, 
your body's getting ready to run or fight, and you're getting stupider, and it makes no sense. It's not helping. So instead of like, oh, man, I feel bad that I'm like procrastinating, and I got to stop this. Friends, you got to get out of the spirit of fear. Or you're going to keep doing it, aren't you? Did anyone ever stop procrastinating because you felt bad? You know what makes you stop procrastinating? More fear. It's the fear that you get to the point where you're like, well, I only have an hour now, so either I study or I fail out of school. (laughs) So a greater fear is what motivates you, right? It's still fear. Does that make sense? But if you could remove that fear, maybe you would do something different. Maybe you would be free. That's what we're talking about here. So we're trying to not be led by that spirit, but be led by the spirit's that is going to adopt us. Now, I, I want to talk about the sexist language here, okay? Because it does talk about sons. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and then you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. This is provocative language, and it's not provocative because it was sexist. It's provocative because who the heck is a son of God? In the, the, the Jewish religion, right, for Israelites... Nobody talked like this. When Jesus would say he was the son of God, you know what they would do? They wouldn't be like, oh, that's interesting. They would pick up rocks to kill him because it was blasphemy. Who's the son of God? God? God is terrifying. God is ultimate power and holiness. He is just beyond you. Right? I mean, the, the, the Israelites believed that if you were in the presence of God and you looked at him, you would die. If he spoke to you, I mean, you'd probably go deaf, right? I mean, it, it was just a frightening thing to be in the presence of God. And if you look in the, the, the um, Old Testament, it never addresses God as Father. Look at the Psalms. It always says Lord in all capitals. And what that is is the holy name of God. Yohevathe, I am that I am. That's the name that was given to Moses when God was speaking to him from that bush, the burning bush. He is the great I am. He is beyond us. He is so holy. And for you to say you're his son? Mm-mm. No. Nah, son. You're not his son. You're a speck of dust. You're nothing. You're just a creature, right? And so Jesus would pray in this bold just mind-blowing way, he would call God Abba. Abba, Father, Daddy. Nobody did that. When Jesus prayed that way, when Jesus would talk about his Father, I mean, they'd be like, what? What are you talking about? So him as the Son of God, that was, that was Jesus. That was his unique identity. And what is it saying? The Spirit of God is going to lead you into that same identity, the same identity that Jesus himself has, whether you're a man or a woman, okay? But the reason why the son is important is because in this traditional culture, sons were the heirs, right? I'm sorry, it's just, it's it's like a a patriarchal society, right? This is the way that, that it worked. And so 
you'll notice that even in the scripture, it, it, it goes back and forth between gender-neutral language and the gender-specific language. So it's talking about sons, and then it says later, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So women, you are not excluded, right? You're all included in this. But what they're trying to tell you is that the Spirit is going to lead you into the same status that Jesus has. Because Jesus is a son, and he is an heir. This is amazing stuff, friends. What does an heir get from the father? Everything. Now, if you had a poor father, you would just get whatever they had, right? They just have 10 bucks to their name, that's all you're going to get. What if you had your father was, oh, I don't know, God? (laughs) The, The king of the whole universe? What do you get? What do you get? You get everything. You get everything. This is crazy. We we, we don't talk this way in church so often. But what does it mean to say you're not just a child of God in some some metaphorical way? You know, yes, there were times in the Old Testament they used father as a metaphor. You know, God is like a father. But really to say God is your dad, your daddy, your father, and you are an heir? Oh my goodness, this is crazy. And this is what is your identity. Friends, I know this is something you've heard before. It's not crazy for me to say to you, right? Like, this isn't mind-blowing information on an intellectual level to hear that you're a child of God. That's the message. That's the identity, right? Y'all can go home now, right? That's the identity. You are a beloved child of God. But this is the thing. You've heard that. You know it here, but you don't know it here. You don't know it in your heart and your nervous system. When you're freaking out because you don't know what your future is going to be, or you're freaking out because someone in your family is sick, or you're freaking out because you look at the world and there's COVID and threat of nuclear war and and the the environment is, is just going to hell, and you're looking at all of this stuff and you're freaking out, you don't know. You don't really know that you're a child of divinity. Your father is God. And he has given you everything. He has told you who you are. What do you have to be afraid of? You guys remember when you were a kid and you thought your parents were invincible? We've learned different, right? As we grow up, you know, I'm a father to you and I'm sure it happened way earlier for them that they figured out that I'm not perfect, you know. But there's a time when you are with your parents when you're younger, you are absolutely, completely unafraid. Have you ever seen a child in a situation where they are frightened and they have good bonding with their parents? They have a solid relationship with their parents. They see a stranger. They see a a kind of menacing-looking dog. What does the child do? They go to their, their parent, their mommy or daddy, they cling to the leg, right? And then they just bury themselves in their parents, and they're safe. You ever, like, like go on a long-distance drive, and, and you're in a metal death machine? <laughs> a car, right? You're in a car that's moving at 70 to 80 miles per hour, Right? 
being propelled down the highway and there's all these other metal death machines that are moving <laughs> very quickly and at any time you never know what's going to happen but you as a child your parents are invincible right nothing bad is going to happen on their watch and you're sitting in the back seat and you're sleeping it reminds me of something do you remember when the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and a massive storm just came up like a squall came up and they thought they were going to die. I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever been on the ocean and experienced a storm. I mean, I can only imagine, right? This rickety little wooden boat. I mean, you're just at the mercy of the sea. And they're like, ah! They're screaming and they're crying. And they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Do you guys remember this story? What's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Why? Because he's the son of God, right? He's the son of divinity. What does he have to worry about? He knows it through and through. You could have told the disciples that. You could have told them intellectually, oh, you're a child of God. And they're like, oh, word? Okay, cool. And they would still freak out. Because it's not enough to be told this intellectually. What do you need? You need the spirit to communicate with your spirit. That's what it's saying here, right? Receiving the spirit. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, right? You have a spirit. We've talked about this. The spirit is the thing that animates you. It's the thing that is your will, right? That, that decides, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go left or I'm going to go right, right? And your spirit is being dominated by sin. That's the problem. You're, you're captive to fear. You're a slave. And so here comes the Spirit of God, and it speaks to our spirit, and it convinces us. It tells us, you are not a piece of cosmic dust. You are not just this finite creature who should be afraid of everything. You are a child of divinity, and it convinces us. When the Spirit of God communicates on that level of spirit, you know. Some of you may have experienced this. We have different ways of talking about this. The most common way we use is we use conversion. But it's, got, it's been loaded with all these other things when we talk about conversion. Or we say we were saved, right? Like it's this transaction that is only going to be cashed in when you die. But no, friends, look at what happens. I want to show you the moment for Jesus. And now, is this a symbolic moment? We don't know. Did Jesus know before this moment who he was, we don't fully know. I think he kind of knew, but maybe there was something really important about this moment. And by the way, this happened when Jesus was like 30, right? Like 30, 33, something like that. Um, and so Jesus was, well, I mean, obviously he was almost all the way done with his life, but he was like a middle-aged man at this point. He wasn't a young dude. And he came to John the Baptist and John the Baptist baptized him, right? You guys know what baptism is, right? What, what image do you have in your mind? Because it should be this image, right? Because this is really what baptism is. I, I, we're in a United Methodist Church, and we do it symbolically often because we just don't have a river here, right? We, we just get water, and we pour it on your head, right? But baptism really is its full immersion. You are going completely into the water. I'm not talking about baptism for baptism's sake, but I want you to get the imagery. Okay, guys, I want you to understand what's happening here. Jesus goes into the water, and you go into the water. Richard Rohr calls baptism, he calls it a drowning ceremony. 
Your old self goes in and you die. And then you come out with a new identity. What identity did Jesus get? So he goes in and he's baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Oh my gosh, guys, do you see that imagery? Heaven is meeting earth, right? All of it is coming to Jesus. It's coming to earth. Heaven is meeting earth. And, he, and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus goes down into the water, right? And symbolically, when we go down into the water or in this process, we die and we come out as a child of God, as a son of God. Do you see that? Right? That's what's happening here. We are getting this full um, identity. And, and friends, I, I want to show you, uh, th this is talking about Romans. So if you don't believe me, you think I'm making up this imagery. It's just right here. This is straight from the Bible. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Right? Isn't that what I just said? Right? You buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's all this language here about death. You, you got to die, right? You, you got to be united with him in a death like his. I want to go back real quick here to um, verse 17. Right, The Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. And if children, then heirs. Right, You get everything. You get everything that Jesus gets. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, this might seem like the kicker. <laughs> Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is consistent with what it just said in Romans 6. You got to die. You got to die. Right? Now, it talks about suffering. For many of us, friends, you will not believe this until you suffer. Some people are going to be so successful at playing the game of life and living in a false self, you know, pretending, I'm a doctor. I mean, you are a doctor, but you know what I mean? It's not you, right? But you're going to be so sure in that identity. Yeah, I'm a doctor, or I'm, you know, I'm a business person or I'm a husband, or I'm a wife, or I'm a cool person, I'm a nice person, and you wear this false self, and you live in that, and everyone's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, Dr. Kim, oh, yeah, you're the bomb, right? And everyone's telling you this, and you can live in this successfully for a while. And this is why so often people do not have these experiences, have these experiences of true spiritual knowledge until they really suffer. You look at all the great spiritual biographies of all the saints and all these people. They suffered. They went through something very difficult. Sometimes it was something in their life. Sometimes it was just an existential crisis. There, was, there are some saints who would just be like thinking about their death a lot. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, right? And it was through that contemplation that they came through this breakthrough, right? But for many of you, if you are in a place in life, friends, where this doesn't make sense yet, my advice to you, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Don't manufacture your death. It's going to come. <laughs> it's 
It's going to come. You've you got to play the game, friends. I'm not telling you to drop out of school. You've got to go to school. You've got to get a job, right? I'm, I'm telling you, don't believe it too much. When everyone calls you doctor or you start you know, f feeling really good in this role and whatever, don't believe it too much. That's not really who you are. You've got to use it, right? You've you got to live there a little bit. But there are going to be moments where it comes crashing down. There's going to be cracks in that. You lose a job or someone disrespects you, or you get to a place where just, you're like, dude, is this all there is? You know, I, I thought this was gonna make me feel better. I thought it was gonna feel secure, and I don't. I feel empty. And those are the moments where real life can happen. Does that make sense? Is you die, and then you're born again, right? And so, it says it here. Um, so then, if you die to this old way of life, you don't have to be a slave to it anymore. You can live in a new identity, right? And it says, um, let's go to the last part of Romans 6, uh, 7 through 8. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Friends, this is what we are trying to do. We are trying to live the life that Christ wants for us as a child of God, being free, being free. You don't need to play this game anymore, right? I, 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 I don't know how to tell you this any more clearly, and maybe for some of you, it will make sense. Maybe in this moment, this will be your breakthrough. And maybe for some of you, it'll come a year from now, a week from now, you know, a, a few months from now. I don't know. But whoever needs to hear this, if you are ready, you are a beloved child of God, and God is pleased with you. You are a beloved child of God, and God is pleased with you. You don't need to earn that, right? This is why it comes by the Spirit. It's not this big, mysterious thing. What we are saying, what the Scripture is saying, is it's a gift. Everyone else, the, the way that people live in this world, they have to earn it, right? You've got to earn your identity. You've got to prove it. And then the problem is, is because it's not real, you have to spend all this energy trying to keep up this facade, trying to convince everyone that you are someone. You have to convince yourself. It's exhausting. But friends, if you can really receive this truth, it's a simple truth. But if it can go deep into your soul, the very, very base of you at the center is that you are a child of God. It is given. You don't have to earn it. You have supreme dignity. You have a God who loves you and is going to take care of you, and you don't need to be afraid anymore. You've got a daddy. He's God. Friends, I, I want to just end with, um, this is a picture of my dad. Yeah, this is the one I've been telling you about. This is my dad, and this is my second daughter. And, you know, my dad is a traditional uh, first-generation Korean dad. Um, he loved me. He didn't always say it. You know, he did it through other ways, like, oh, did, did you eat? <laughs> that was I love you in Korean, I guess. You know, and, 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 or he'd be like, oh, you know, do you have enough money? How's your car? You know, and that was how he showed me he loved me, but he didn't really tell me that all the time. And it's not my parents' fault. I mean, some of it is just the, the you know, the, the different cultures and, you know, growing up in America where we want to hear I love you all the time and in a culture where, where that just wasn't said all the time, especially, you know, fathers to sons. It's not said a lot. 
um, at least in my dad's generation. And I didn't really know. I didn't really know that I was loved. And, you know, I see him looking at my, my, my daughter uh, this way. And, and, and look, look, look at my dad. Just, just look for a moment how he's looking at, my, at his granddaughter. What do you think he's thinking in this moment? Do you think he's like, man, you can't do anything. Gosh, you're pretty worthless. Like, so small and you don't have a job and, you know, you're really dumb. No, it's just love. This is my granddaughter. It's amazing. What do you think God thinks of when he looks at you? Do you think, oh, man, I wish that person would just stop going to Necto, you know? Man, they're really good, but if they could just turn around their grade in biology a little bit, then I would love them a lot more, right? Oh, man, you know, they just kind of like, like oversleep, you know, or they, they, they can't get to bed on time. Do you think God is thinking any of that? That's the spirit of fear, friends. That's the spirit of condemnation. When God looks at you, he looks at you as a beloved child. And what we need in our very spirits is we need to fully believe that receive it by the Holy Spirit, right? Be in a place where you can receive that. Friends, um, you know, we'll get into it more and more as we go on, but it's not just something that happens once in your life. For me, um, just a few years back, I was uh, going through a really tough time. Uh, This was like maybe three three or four years ago, and... um, I, I, I really thought I was going to uh, quit my job. I, I was very, very unhappy. Um, I was having trouble at home. I, I, I just, I was just not a happy person. I was like angry all the time. Even when I would come to church, like if I was running late, you know, if I was even running like the slightest bit late, I would fly into a rage. I'd be screaming in my car. I was like, dude, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? And I heard, uh, I was listening to this sermon of somebody just talking about this idea. You know, you're not your job. You, you, you don't have to impress anyone. You don't have to earn this. You're just a child of God. You're loved. It's the simplest message. I thought I knew it. I've been preaching it for years. But in this moment, I just felt this lightness. I didn't cry or anything, but it was just like this, I, 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 I don't know how to describe it. Just the room brightened. My soul brightened. And, and it's something that I try to get back to. You know, this big truth, it's, it's something that you only really need to experience once, but in many ways you need to experience it over and over because we forget. We live in this world where there's so much fear, right? And we're anxious all the time. And if you are a child of God, I'm telling you, friends, you can live in a different kind of way. You can be still. I couldn't be still before. I couldn't pray. I couldn't really pray. Because when when I would go to pray, I would always feel this anxiety of like, I got to do something. I got to do something. It's the spirit of fear, right? I got to do something. I'm a pastor. I should be preparing the sermon or I should be calling someone or I should, right? I couldn't just be still and be like, no, it's okay. You're a child of God. God's got this. You're safe. Just be still. Just be still. Just be still in your childness. We need that. Can I ask the priest team to come up? And let's just take a moment, just absorb that. 
I want you to hear this. I'm going to just say it just a couple more times. You can look up at my dad holding my granddaughter, and I want you to hear it. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but I want you to hear it in your spirit. Just receive this truth. You can close your eyes if you want, or you can just look at the picture, and just, you know, Jonathan will start playing some lovely chords here. But just hear this. You are my child, my beloved. I am so pleased with you. Remember, when Jesus heard these words, he hadn't preached a single sermon. He hadn't performed a single miracle. God's pleasure wasn't based on that. It's just on who he was. You are my child, my beloved. I am so pleased with you. You are my beloved child. I am so pleased with you. You are my beloved I'm pleased with you. You are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. Lord, I pray that this truth will sink in deep, that we will not live out of fear, out of trying to measure up to some idea of who we think we're supposed to be, but we can live out of this deep, fathomless place, this, this mystery, this wonderful gift that you have adopted us as your children, that we are yours and you love us and you will never let us go. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.